You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this episode is hosted by Ryan. If you are a fan of Lucasfilm, you are going to enjoy this episode. We are profiling the team behind the new documentary series called Light and Magic. Academy Award nominated filmmaker Lawrence Kasdan takes viewers on an adventure behind the curtains of industrial light and magic, the special visual effects, animation, and virtual production division of Lucasfilm. So we have on this episode guests Janet Lewin, who is the senior vice president of Lucasfilm visual effects and the general manager of industrial light and magic, Phil Tippett, founder of Tippett Studios, and Dennis Buren, consulting creative director of Industrial Light and Magic, and well-renowned director Lawrence Kasdan. So again, if you're a fan of visual effects, Lucasfilm, and all the things that go into the entertainment scope of Star Wars and all of our favorite properties in the sci-fi realm, then sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, featuring the team behind the docu-series, Light and Magic. Hey, Janet, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I love your t-shirt. Thank you so much. Yeah, I had to represent for today. I feel like you, this is the time you wear your Star Wars shirt for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, seeing light and magic and then hearing your title as senior vice president, general manager, I was like, oh, now that's cool. I was <laughs> like, it can't, it can't get any cooler than that. But I was also, my second thing was like, well, what's her favorite Star Wars character? And how do you even decide? Oh, that's, that's impossible. I mean, I think I'd have to say Yoda, you know, okay. the, the OG. I mean, I love baby Yoda too, but Yoda, <laughs> you know, I think just as a, a timeless wise old soul you know uh-huh it's probably my favorite yeah. yeah I love that that's you can't go wrong with Yoda you have to go with yeah. Yoda yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you though like the knowledge perspective of 28 years you know with ILM and with Lucasfilms I saw this this badass cover of you where it was like half your face was covered by Darth Vader <laughs> and it said like a powerful force and I was like what does this job mean to you like you know like how do you take it all in Oh, it's, it, it's a great, great question. Um, I love my job and I really feel like I grew up at ILM and Lucasfilm. I've been with the company for 28 years. I've, I've played so many different roles, kind of winding my way up through the organization. So I have had amazing mentors. I've had just incredible experiences being able to work with A-list filmmakers and have 
kind of a seat at the table to see how these geniuses come together to solve creative problems and, um, you know, kind of achieve the impossible. So, you know, I, for me, it feels like it's a, a job kind of tailor-made for me because I love producing. I love organizing teams and um, driving for results and partnering with creatives. And, you know, that's kind of what I did for many years before moving into executive level roles. And now in my current role, it's almost like it's that on steroids. You know, it's across 40 shows at a time instead of just one at wow. a time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm curious, though, what like if you give us a little insight into your day to day, like what is like the most the biggest challenge, like uh, like on a daily basis? And like what's something where you just like, I can't believe I can I get to do this every day. Um, well, you know, actually doing things like interviews and public speaking is, is, <laughs> is not, it's not in my comfort zone, but, yeah. um, I, I love to get out of my comfort zone and grow and inspire others to do that as well. Um, the thing about my job is that truly every day is unique. You know, there's, there's so much going on with the expansion that's underway at ILM right now. We are hiring like crazy at all of our studios. We're going to continue to grow. Um, and so that has a lot of operational complexity, just figuring out where to be and, and how to attract, you know, the best talent in the world and to deliver all these shows, you know, it's multiple, it's a juggling act all the time. Um, so I think that's, that's what makes it exciting though. And speaking to of shows of the Mandalorian, um, everybody is just was just in awe when you got and you guys keep releasing like behind the scenes stuff for like nerds like me that we just lose it on like the visual production methodology of like stagecraft and how you guys are putting it together. Can you give a little bit of um, of insight of how that started and kind of like where you're going with that now? Because it's such a, a human element that it brings back. that I think it's so cool. Yeah. Well, you know, ILM has been around for 47 years and we actually started developing virtual production tools, you know, for AI. And with each new project, we are presented unique creative problems to solve. And um, including on Rango, we mm -hmm. had to develop a virtual production camera that um, Roger Deakins could use to film animation that hadn't really ever been done before. Um, but all of those kind of steps on the path kind of led us to the culmination of our virtual production tools for Stagecraft on The Mandalorian. And it really was in partnership with John Favreau, who had the vision for how he wanted to achieve, you know, the, the scope and scale of Star Wars for the small screen. Um, and then our partnership with Greg Frazier, who really pioneered the use of LEDs in photography. Um, we, mm -hmm. we worked with him on Rogue One and um, that was sort of our test bed for what ultimately became um, the way we shot The Mandalorian. So it was, we continue to be influenced and inspired by each new filmmaker um, and that helps us continue to develop our tools. I'm not sure what the future holds for virtual production. We have five virtual production volumes right now and we're working on all shows of all uh shapes and sizes um so i'm excited to see where it takes us but i don't really have a clear roadmap for that just yet 
and I'm gonna I'm see how how I can throw this in here and hopefully not get in trouble where you're not like no no we're gonna see about, but I know we're getting <laughs> I know we're getting um I'm a huge Mandalorian fan as you can tell by the shirt getting season three can you give us like a word to describe the next season or you guys have no are very and very in the in the um early stages uh I mean we're we're not in the early stages we've been filming and um it, it's going to be amazing. You know, I mean, the thing about John Favreau is he always ups the ante each season. There's some new, amazing um, experience. And I can't tell you more than that, but I think you'll, uh, I think you'll love it. Hey, I'll take it. I'm done pressing my limit on that one. Um, <laughs> um, I want to ask Steven Spielberg in this, in this documentary, by the way, like it was so amazing to have all these, these directors and, and like, giants in the film business come together to talk about I, ILM. Um, but he said um, ILM for him was like making magic, but having fun at the same time. Um, and I'm wondering, like, how do you going forward? Um, like you said, there's new hiring coming in. Mm-hmm. How are you kind of keeping that atmosphere? And, and why is that so important to ILM? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy, but I would say that, you know, we try to set a tone at the company that, really encourages collaboration and community and we hire for potential we we look at people's experience of course and sometimes that is the primary thing we're solving for when we have to uh, hire for specific talent but we really love to develop talent at our company and um that philosophy of collaboration extends to every single individual who works at the company. And I think that we teach it as we go, but, you know, John Knoll is one of our premier visual effects supervisors. He, he has sort of an open, open zoom box, I guess, instead of open door, but open door policy, you know, where anyone can come and and ask questions. Our dailies are very open in terms of um, everyone being able to express their thoughts and ideas. So I think that that is part of our DNA, right? Like that's, that's the spirit of the company that George envisioned, you know, sort of this rebel, um, uh, approach to, you know, proving people wrong by just rolling up our sleeves and achieving the impossible and taking those creative leaps of faith. And that's, you know, that's the company we are today. We're much, much bigger. And of course our tools are different, but I think that's our spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate that spirit definitely rubs up on fans like me and we appreciate it. And Janet, thank you so much for letting me into your world for a little bit. Oh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. All hey, right. Morris, how you doing? Good. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Great. Um, this was, this was so cool. Like if you like any behind the scenes, like nerd action, this was amazing to get this this in-depth like but see here's what got me though that I thought was so cool you've been writing directing producing for like 24 films now for years now did you feel like you were giving away too much of like the secret sauce the secret magic (laughs) no I don't think so (laughs) I think one of the things you see with these people this collection of geniuses that work at ILM over the years is that there is no bottom to that pot you know, they mm. they are the very act of creation makes them want to do more. It it's like feeds itself. It's a very organic thing. And then someone walks in the door and says, I don't know how to make this thing happen. Will you help me? And they say, Yes, we mm-hmm. will help you. They never say, No, we can't, you know. 
And I love that. And I, I love that message for people, young people to see that, you know, anything can be done if you really, if you work hard and you don't give up. You know, that was, that was true of George Lucas too in getting the first Star Wars made. No one wanted to do it, but he just kept going. And then when he had many, many challenges over the years, but he always kept going. And I think when he created ILM, he wanted that to be the spirit of ILM. We can figure this out. Not we know what to do, but we will figure it out because the people around here are so amazing. Yeah, and you can see, and you can really see that nailed home that we can figure it out message and the teamwork. I'm curious too, where did you get a lot of the footage and everything? Like, how did you pull all that stuff up? Well, luckily, you know, uh, Lucasfilm and George liked this idea and they opened up vaults that have never been opened before. Wow. And we've yeah. got stuff in here that no one's ever seen. And it was the, the time had come, I think, in George's mind and Lucasfilm of let's go in there and let people see this, you know? And so there was enormous amount of material available to us. And I'm curious for your, for your own personal experience, um, working on several um, Star Wars projects yourself, what kind of drew you into ILM? Like, what was it? Was it a, was it a moment, a day you were visiting? You're like, okay, I have to tell this story because this is like a special events juggernaut. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> I think that I had been around them for many years, but I hadn't really known how it worked. And I'm not talking about technically, I'm talking about how did these people do this? How did they get there themselves? How long had they wanted to be at ILM and, and work their way into it? Sometimes it took 20 years for them to get that job. And I was interested in these people who were making movies at 10 years old with effects that I couldn't do today. Amazing, you know, and this is a long time ago. So I was very drawn to that thing. And I made a little documentary with my wife about a diner that was closing that we went to. And when I, I loved doing it so much and I started meeting effects pe um, documentary people and I said to imagine, I'd like to do a thing about visual effects. And they immediately said, would you do ILM? Well, that was like saying, well, you, are you ready to go home? You know, I, I yeah. felt, I knew, I didn't know how it was done, but I knew the people. And, and um, one of my final things for you here, I'm so curious, like following a lot of your career and seeing a lot of your milestones were kind of marked by scripts and, and, and people noticing your work in that area. And I'm, and I'm curious, is there a, a particular script, like a memorable script that sticks out for you? I know this is asking, you know, somebody that has like probably an encyclopedia of like of, of scripts and, and folders and stuff. But is there is there like one that sticks out for you, a line of uh, something like that? Well, there are a lot of different things, but. There's one that we have in the show and the editors helped me use it because I told them this is my favorite line I ever wrote. Mm -hmm. and, um, then we were able to use it in the show where Indy says, you know, Sala says, what are you going to do? He says, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Well, that is the story of being a writer. That's your life. You make it up as you go. And it's a story of innovation. And that's what ILM has done repeatedly. And it's a story of personality because the thing about Indy is not that he knows how he's gonna solve a problem, but that he's ready to get into the problem immediately. And that's what ILM does. 
Well, I can't wait for people to see all the personalities of ILM because I was just so fascinated. Like I knew there were stories, but I didn't know this. So it, it was so cool. And Lawrence, I, I really appreciate it. It was so, it's so enjoyable to watch. Well, thank you, Raya. Hey, Dennis, Phil, how you guys hey. doing? Hi, fine, thanks. I feel like we need, you guys are like the encyclopedia of visual effects. Cause this, this movie was so cool and so detailed. Um, I'm kind of curious of you guys' sure. first impressions of each other. Cause I thought that was a really cool element of this film to kind of talk a little bit about or shows a little bit about you guys' relationship. Dennis, what was your first impression of Phil? Uh, he was really young, you know, probably five or six years younger than me, but at that time he was probably like 17 or 18, you know, and but interested mm. in the same stuff I was interested in, you know? And he's a very outgoing, experimental type personality, and I'm exactly the opposite. So there, but there was something there in our backgrounds or whatever that kind of gelled, and and we've just always gotten along, you know. And I think uh, we, I hope we've helped each other grow. I hope. We, um, you know, um, the first time I uh, I really connected with Dennis is we were at um, this animator's house, and we would do. Uh, you know, uh, screenings of our, our short films. And I brought in a thing that I did that was like uh, painting on film and played it to box third, um, um, uh, blah, 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 whatever it was. Um, and, um, and so Dennis saw it and I was getting into my car and he came down and that's kind of what I remember starting everything because everybody else wanted to be Ray Harryhausen. And I, you know, why would I want to be Ray Harryhausen? I mean, I did as a kid, but, um, you know, there were so many other things to explore. And I think that's what, you know, kind of attracted Dennis, you know, to me was, you know, I was kind of working outside the box and didn't really want to be Ray Harryhausen. Mm -hmm. Well, Phil, speaking of out of the box, have you ever met a creature that you just didn't understand the behavior or it was a little bit more challenging for you to figure out how to how to piece it together? Great question. Uh, no, you know, the only one I can think of, well, the walkers took a while. Whenever you've got something that um, the walk cycle is, it, you've got to nail that down. And mm. so, uh, you know, with, um, you know, anatomical, you know, like dinosaurs, really dinosaurs were designed over 200 million years. So essentially all you have to do is wind it up and it then it goes. Or same thing with a bug. But with these walking machines, uh, you know, depending upon the scale for, you know, uh, the Empire and for RoboCop, you've just got to figure it out, you know, because they're not anthropomorphic. And it takes, you know, quite a while, and just in general with stop motion to to get to know the puppet, you know, it's just, yeah. if you, on Star Wars, I did the first, the first few takes with the Tauntaun, and, you know, they weren't any good. You know, I hated him. So, um, you know, George, let me redo him. Yeah, that's cool. This is so amazing how you guys are giving us like this inside peek. I'm freaking out as like a behind the scenes nerd. It's so cool to get to see you guys put this together. 
Um, Dennis, I'm curious, because there's one thing that has to create the effects, but when you're in charge of a team and then you're also seeing like the evolution, how were you not afraid of what the evolution was going to bring? And how did you know when to trust your, when to trust your instincts as far as like where you wanted to go next? Well, I'm, I'm curious and I do, I'm always looking, whatever I do, I, in my mind, I consciously say it's obsolete. And then uh, and I don't really mean it because I really yeah. usually like what I do, but I'm just trying to see, is there something that we're missing if this ever comes across again? So, you know, you just sort of like do what you can and are always on looking out for something, an opportunity to do it. And then when you think, and I always, I'm kind of been keeping up with technology all along, kind of in the background or even in the foreground sometimes. And uh if there's a chance of, of something using a new technology or a risky thing that I think in my mind is going to add something to it that the audience is going to see, it's got to be mm -hmm. visible and it's going to improve it, not just the, a technical thing, but improve it. Then I've, I'll start looking and checking it out. Is it going to work or not? Because there's a lot of things like that that have crash and burn and it's happened on a number of films and some big effects films where they practically get canceled because, or the work gets just put in somewhere else because the uh, idea, no matter how neat it seemed, turned out that there were dead ends on it that nobody, the smartest people didn't see at the time. So I just check and check and make sure it's going to be delivered, especially on these movies where, you know, all the films I've worked on, that there's deadlines and you have to make the deadline. And if you don't, it's, it's incredibly expensive. It's millions of dollars will change hands and nobody one or two. And I just know, you know, if, if you've got to make that deadline, so everything, the pieces have to fit. And having worked my way up, I have a pretty good idea how the pieces are all done. And then I can kind of figure, trust the people that can do them if I don't know how they're done and then put the pieces together and make sure we can get it done on time. Yeah, well, I would say you, you gotta. Know, we, we went to a, uh, you know, we had oh. a great education working with uh, Lucas Spielberg, Spielberg in, in Verhoeven. And uh, I really learned a lot from these guys in terms of creative management, you know, that really helped me with my own studio. And Paul likened it to uh, if he was the conductor of a symphony orchestra and I was the first violin, he would make sure that I got everything that I wanted. You know, like like Stephen and and George, um, not to make him look better, but to make the symphony be as good as it possibly could, and that was a uh, that was a very important part of my education. Is you don't shit, you know, downstream. You know, you are there to support your people, and that that is really your job. Uh, Phil, I kind of wanted to stick with you, though, because um, I, I like how you were open about you talked a lot about mental health and how being able to work with these creatures, be able to be in the model shop, kind of help you escape a lot of the stuff you you were dealing with. Um, how uh, Talk a little bit about being comfortable, I guess, sharing that as well on camera. And and um, is that still how did how does that for, for you now? Is that still somewhere you kind of go as an as an escape and and, um, you know, in a traditional sense, even though technology is kind of taking over effects in a way? Well, I I actually very recently, you know, within the last, you know, three years or so, maybe four now, um, I self-diagnosed myself as bipolar 
you know, and I'd be working on stuff and I'd go like, hey, wait a minute. You know, this, I don't think this is normal. <laughs> and so I looked up, um, you know, uh, manic depressive or, or bipolar and I just hit all the marks. And, you know, it really, really was, I don't get depressed, but I, I uh, it, it really was my superpower, my manic side. And um, if I didn't manage it, and this was like, since I was a kid, I, you know, just unconsciously figured this out. And sometimes oh, what I would have to do as a kid was just get up and run around the block and just like, take myself out of myself. Um, and, uh, you know, until, you know, uh, I got medication and that was like a huge breakthrough for me so yeah i think it's important to share that stuff because a lot of artists have you know this similar thing which has sometimes been likened to you know shamanism or just having other other kind of visions that are, are outside of yourself um and uh it makes you different um but then it can also be something that uh the the culture that you live in um, finds useful. Well, I want to thank Dennis. I want to thank you and Phil for being so open with this and, and just revealing like so much for us. Um, for somebody who likes to escape into the theater, um, huh. it's been a treat to know how that's how that's made. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Sure. Great. Thank, thank you. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax and Ryan Bennett. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify.